0: University of Houston, Dr. Monsanto, a Guatemalan, an albino blind Guatemalan, I might add, introduced himself to all of us and asked each student to go around the room, as so many classrooms do the first day of class, and introduce ourselves And if there's one thing that we all knew by this time in this amount of study of the Spanish language, it's how to introduce ourselves, right? It seems like eight classes are just about how to introduce yourselves, but there had to be one guy, right? One guy who remotely paid attention, one guy who slid through all of his classes with straight Ds. In this case, I'm not talking about myself. His turn comes around in the classroom, and he says the fateful words, Hola, me lamo," (laughs) And Dr. Monsanto spit his coffee out across the room and began to laugh like the marimba that he would often play. Of course, because instead of the verb llamarse, which means to call oneself, he had said lamerse, which is to lick oneself. Translation matters, doesn't it? <laughs> to translate is to interpret, to decide what is most important and communicate it on. And in, in what is, for many of us, a familiar passage in Luke chapter 4, Jesus actually stands up in his hometown synagogue and he translates prophecy into the context of his own ministry. He stood up and he read The scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was given to him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Like Dr. Monsanto, right? To let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus says this, he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down, and all the eyes of the synagogue are fixed on him. And they begin to say, or he begins to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, translating, interpreting ancient words into his context and day and time. We are all translators. We are all interpreters. And the very work of all who seek God is to translate. It is to interpret ancient words of Scripture into a message for today. Now, part of reading the Bible itself is understanding what it is. I distinctly remember the moment I became aware of how much I don't know. A friend, who I had known for much of my childhood, invited me out to his family farm near Gonzales very peaceful place. They were never a church-going family, so he had always kind of looked at my family with a little bit of skepticism. And the two of us swam in the pool, the smell of chickens in the air. And after six years of friendship, he finally got around to the topic of religion. And he had a question that later I came to really appreciate, a genius question. I would have never thought to ask this How do we even know the Bible wasn't made up? Where did this thing come from? Now, I was raised never to even broach that topic, just to read it. And I remember feeling so unqualified to answer. And I mumbled something about faith and that God played a major role in it, and that's why we believe. And I felt incomplete in my own understanding. Since then, I may have done some digging. Now, no original manuscripts of either the Old or New Testament survive. No originals. So what we're saying, in effect, is the actual time that someone wrote it down first itself doesn't exist. For much of the first 1,500 years of the church, though, Christians read something called the Septuagint. And I'm going to try to make this not nerdy. It's an ancient Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. So it was translated from original Hebrew to Greek. Now the oldest existing fragments are 2,200 years old. Older than Jesus, at least after birth Jesus. The oldest complete copy is 1,800 years old. Now, Christians would use this translation of Hebrew, and then they would translate it into Latin. Now, I want you to think for a second, if you translate something from one language into another and into another, how differently it might sound. When you get to the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, suddenly someone starts to ask this question, why don't we just go back to Hebrew and translate it directly. And so that's what they did. So instead of going from Hebrew into Greek and to Latin, now we would just do Hebrew to German, or Hebrew to English. Now why does this matter? The farther a translation is from the original language, the less accurate it will be. Anyone who has a conversation in a women's bathroom or on a men's barbershop can attest to the same thing. Now, it's even more fun though. Copying can result in problems too. Now, in modern printing of Bibles, there are typographical errors, which these, I'll give you some examples, because these are really fun. Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt commit adultery. (laughs) They left out something there, didn't they? (laughs) Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 9, know that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God. Or not. Or Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is a God. Actually, that was supposed to be the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, right? We, we really want to weed out all of the human nonsense of it all and focus on the God portion, don't we? Now, if you ever watch any crime TV show involving forensics, uh, they often refer to what's called a chain of custody, right? Uh, the idea being that any piece of evidence has to be accounted for, signed in and signed out by a lab technician or a law enforcement officer, and someone can vouch that it was under their supervision. No one could manipulate or alter. In court, the chain of custody adds credibility, and it proves that our own human negligence and error have not altered this evidence. Now, the source of our modern Old Testament Bible translation these days is our version of a chain of custody. It's called a Masoretic text, and And there were these Jewish scribes called the Masoretes, And what they would do is that the grandfather and the son and the grandson, every successive generation, would train one another. They would take custody of these Old Testament scrolls, and they would make a new copy on animal skin called parchment. It can't survive forever. It weathers down, and so they keep making these new copies. For this reason, the oldest fragments are only 1,100 years old and the oldest complete Old Testament in Hebrew is only 1,000 years old because they kept having to copy it. Now, why then would we opt for something that is younger, the Masoretic manuscript, over the older Septuagint? Because these manuscripts never left the hebrew scribes because they remained in hebrew itself because grandfathers and sons and grandsons gave their very lives for centuries to copy them as old scrolls decayed they kept these words alive with new ones and they maintained that chain of custody so what about the new testament where did it come from Now, the oldest fragment of the New Testament is 1,900 years old, roughly, a portion of the Gospel of John. The oldest complete copy of each book of the New Testament varies between 1,600 and 1,800 years old. Now, why are these able to be so old and maintained? Because they were written on plant and not animal. If you're going to write something, write it on plant, if you're in doubt. Papyrus, not parchment They survive the weather And the beautiful part is they're written in Greek And we can just take the Greek And translate it right into English All we want And so it turns out That the sources for the Bible Are more credible than many If not all of the other Ancient scholarly writings people even read And then you get the next question In the swimming pool conversation Well who chose what to include. It's often portrayed as some kind of a power play, right? These people in authority, the man, if you will, has decided what's going to be in the Bible. And movies like the uh, Da Vinci Code that came out some odd 10, 12 years ago uh, in there, they, they make it look like the church schemes everything and that the Illuminati have a conspiracy awaiting. Uh, I even read a knockoff version of the Da Vinci Code in the airport once. It was horribly entertaining. Now, the thing about it is, though, that both Jewish scholars and church leaders accepted books of the Bible by gradual consensus. And, And what that means is that, little by little, their communities began to read these writings And to say, you know, something is here as I pray and as I read this and as I feel God's Spirit working within me. You know, something important is going on here. No one person clamped down. No one forced anyone to do anything. The truth is much more boring than any conspiracy theory. Uh, The Old Testament books were set by Jews themselves. They left out some things because they weren't written in Jerusalem although Catholics and Orthodox do include some of this Apocrypha. These writings are not a secret. You can go find them. They're readily available. I have copies in my office. And the church accepted the books of the New Testament over three centuries, again, by consensus. They rejected things like the Gospel of Thomas and others, and the reason they did together is because they didn't go with what the other books of the Bible were saying. The content went against everything else. Now, if there are imperfect human beings, albeit credible with the chain of custody, albeit serious and responsible, discerning what is Scripture, how does this really, though, have any meaning? Right? Isn't that the next question? Now, 2 Timothy says that Scripture comes to us by inspiration. Now, 2 Timothy is referring to Old Testament scripture, because I haven't gradually got a consensus about the New Testament, but the spirit of this idea is the same. Inspiration, theonoustos, that literally this is God-breathed scripture. The idea that the Spirit of God played a role in these imperfect human beings to make this word come to us. The importance of scripture comes from its source. The very breath of god how well do you have to know someone to recognize their breathing there's a reason nobody wants to do cpr right how well do you have to know someone to recognize their breathing Ying, you can tell you exactly how much i snore by the way who else knows what my snoring is like not a lot of people i'll tell you the world runs a spouse a a sibling a a child a, a parent It would have to be in a regular, trusting, even intimate relationship, in the words of Faith Hill. Because I can feel you breathe, it's washing over me, and suddenly I'm melting into you. Now, if you think that's a little cheesy, listen to the words of the hymn. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou hast loved, and do what thou wouldst do. It is all rather... Vulnerable and intimate, isn't it? And what Jesus does then in Luke chapter 4, as he stands up in this synagogue, is something we all seek to do. Jesus had read and had appreciated the context into which God first breathed these words of Isaiah, captive Jews longing to go home again. And he read those words anew. And now he put them in a context of his here. And now, I, Jesus, am the way our people go home to God. Our challenge is to connect how God breathed then and how God breathes now. God is revealed when we connect the context of ancient scripture and the context of our modern lives. We believe that God keeps speaking to us. By the power of the holy spirit for more information see last sunday's sermon how exciting is it that we get to discern that we get to find god's very breath at work in us and in our world now recently a restaurant which admittedly i've never eaten at and probably never will called cali burger in pasadena California, trained a new employee Uh, after years of employee recruitment and employee retention challenges. Now this new employee, a robot that can flip burgers. Ridiculous or genius? It lasted all of one day. This robot couldn't keep up with the burger demands in this restaurant. But if the microwave dinner is any indication, this robot will probably make tasteless food at a location near all of us in the very near future. Without that vulnerability of the chef at his or her confection, what taste really is left when no one tastes the food? It's a primary responsibility of followers of Jesus to study scripture to make ourselves vulnerable and let God breathe in us to give taste and flavor to this relationship. And you say, but we pay Keith to do that. <laughs> I go follow in your direction. Do not outsource your understanding of Scripture to the professional, or some would say unprofessional, pastor. You might as well get a robot to flip the pages for you. This scripture is how we are equipped for the good work that God calls us to do. So pick a book out of these 66, because the Bible's a library, not a novel. Pick one out. Study the context of that one. And as God breathes in you, apply it to your life. Don't be that guy that says, Hello, I lick myself. Don't leave the work of seeking God to others. Be transformed by the salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a relationship from a long chain of custody that grandfathers and grandmothers and sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters have given their lives for. And the reality is, whether we take it seriously or not, that link in the chain is in our hands. Amen.